Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Welcome back, Sports Radio 950 KJR. This is Northwest Wild Country, Dwayne England, Cameron Black in studio. This is Kokanee Nation, brought to you by Yakima Bait. And, of course, Max Lure. Max Lure, I got a ton of Max Lure items out there on the front of the table for good reason because a number of the items they make specific to Kokanee and Sockeye, we're going to kind of transition this whole thing, Kokanee, Sockeye Nation, right on through the season, man. We, we got some good stuff coming up. Sockeye wise, but we're talking coconut now. Max makes a ton of lures to get it done. Check out the uh, the contest I've posted on our Facebook page. Gonna go fish the Lake Stevens Coconut Derby, and I have an empty seat that's bought and paid for. All you need to do is go to our Facebook page, like the page, uh, tag somebody on our page who also then needs to go and like the page, and uh, your name's entered in for the drawing. To join me and my wife, and uh, of course uh, Wilson, the uh, the coconut killer, um, at the Lake Stevens Derby. We're going to go up there for the day, enjoy the derby. Uh, I won't worry about winning prizes, but the individual on the boat that joins us, you are uh, you are perfectly capable of accepting a thousand dollar first prize. Now I'm not like the world's greatest coconut fisherman. I just kind of get out there and get it done to a point. Okay, I got a lot to learn still. It's ever changing for me, Cameron Black. And uh, the nice thing about Kokanee Nation is I continue to learn stuff year in and year out and apply it out on the waters of uh, where I fish. And I like to go take on new lakes and give uh, new areas an opportunity. Stephen, we got some uh, we got some questions via the text line there relative to Kokanee as we kick this segment off. Uh, yes, we have a question from Brian that says, looking to learn planer boards for Kokanee, does Cameron or Dwayne have any experience running them to share some tips on the air? I don't know about planer boards, Cameron, but before we jump there, uh, I can tell you that Max makes, and I happen to have one sitting here uh, just by chance, their Double D Dodgers uh, by Max Lure have offsetting holes. They got five holes at the top of this uh, uh, top of this Dodger. And what that does, and there's a little diagram on the back here you can look at, what that does is as you hook those on and the farther you space or grab the outside holes, it's going to pull that Dodger away from your boat, uh, much like a planer. And so you, by utilizing this, especially when you're flatlining, like early season, these work great because you hook those uh, holes on various sizes or sides, and it pulls your presentation away from the boat and gives you a nice, even, flat spread. And, of course, you can clip in the downrigger. You're going to have the same result underwater as well. Um, but uh, not having used planer boards for kokanee, I have no experience there. But the Double D Dodger in that setting will pull it away and give you a wider spread. Ever used planer boards for kokanee? No, I haven't. I mean, and mainly just probably because there's just a lot going on with with clients and stuff and rigging those and and the whole nine yards. But uh, the also the other thing too is some of the lakes down there are kind of you know competitive, and so just trying oh, to yeah. get away from you know with that space that you might need and want to run those would be a little tough. Well, I'm running three or four rods typically out the back of the boat um, when it's when it's just one or two well two of us in there. I mean that's as much as I want to get involved with because if you're especially in an area where you're finding schools of fish and they're pretty snappy. I mean you're constantly busy. There's a lot going on there, but uh, you're running. 
how many clients on your kokanee trips usually up to and how many rods out the back inside of the boat uh, if they're shallow i'll run either eight to ten rods depending on if they're sitting about 10 feet under the surface because i can run usually six on the top and then double stack the downriggers to 10 feet if they are you know sitting down that 20 30 40 range pretty mm-hmm. much it's only a downrigger show then i'm only going to run four rods even with six guys sure yeah because it just gets too complicated i mean it's yeah you start throwing the lines on the downrigger and you start trying to lead some other ones and stuff and it just that yeah headache, it's a headache time Anything, especially if the yeah. wind picks up oh man yeah <laughs> that's why like you said those double d dodgers there i mean they will uh you know having anything to spread those lines out and keep tangles right man, it's mm-hmm. your friend uh, when you're running, uh, when you're running 10 rods like that, I mean, you got forest helping you out. You doing it yourself and clients. Uh, I can do it myself with the aid of a TR one and driving really straight. There you <laughs> so, go. Yeah. <laughs> straight lines right. are your friend, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, that, that brings up a good point. A lot of guys think you got to do S pattern turns and, you know, tight turns, raise and lower gear. I got to be honest when I'm out there trolling kokanee, I seldom do S turns. I seldom worry about. Uh, you know, making tight turns and dropping and raising gear. I will admit that uh, when I take a nice wide turn, oftentimes I either do pick up a fish on the inside or outside rod, just depends, but I'm not an S-turn guy. How about you? Yeah, no, me neither. And like you said, when you do that inside-outside turn and, and if those fish are reacting to, you know, something speeding up or falling, mm-hmm. you know, I, I prefer to use the engine and make all the rods do that. Whether Raise I and lower. Just yep. throttle it a little mm-hmm. bit and speed them up and then maybe pop it into neutral and just let them fall. Let and it coast so, and drop. Instead of having one rod do it, have the whole boat do it. Yep. So let's uh, let's talk setback on gear. For me, uh, one thing I've noticed, and this is specific to my boat and my Garmin Electronics, and trolling on average at, say, 1.0, um, I'll, I will set my gear back 75 to 80 feet. And then when I am marking fish at, and lately on my home lake, they've, I've gotten them down to 62 feet already. I've gotten a lot of them at 38 to 45, 52. It really varies. But, um, you know, last couple of days out there, I'll come across a school of kokanee. I might have the rod set 35, 38, 40. Uh, I mark fish at uh, 50. That 80-foot setback, I guarantee, and it's just the way my boat's set up, but as, yeah, I mean, it applies. You mark fish at 50 at the front edge of the screen. It gives me time to drop the gear down to 48, 47. And just before those fish move off my screen, one of the rods is going off. It's like I can watch I can watch the progression at one mile an hour. By the time it gets to the end of my seven-inch screen, one of the rods is going off because I've given myself enough time to drop the gear, not drop the ball right on their head. It's already passed, right? So it didn't, like, disperse the school by having the, the ball go through there at 50 feet. But uh, the gear drags through and uh, usually pick up a fish or two. How about uh, setbacks for you? What's your goal? You know, setbacks, at least— Maybe not during the transition time, but at least during uh, when the fish are definitely down, you know, in that thermocline layer. Like, I'll run setbacks at, like, five feet. That's and it. I'll, and the reason why, and, and if that's when you've already established the pattern. Like, you know, like you gotcha. said, you're finding fish to 62, and then you're also finding them on the surface right mm-hmm. now. Like you said, your lake's starting to turn over. But yeah. uh, later on, I'll do five feet, and mainly just because my electronics are then, not only is it watching uh, the downrigger ball, it's also watching the gear. Sure. And if you stagger your... Uh, Downriggers ball is just a few feet off, and you see those trailing kokanee behind those lures. Uh, you yeah. can even point at the rod, which, you know, tell my clients, hey, watch that rod. And now that's and getting that's the one that goes detailed, off. Man. Yeah, people start looking at you like you got something else going on. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do you know that? Little, like, I went off the boat now. Yeah. This man is kokanee possessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, I, I always say, well, I'm watching, uh, we call it meat TV. So yeah. those little flays are swimming around out there. You, you can, can watch see them, them shooting up. So. <laughs> yep. I actually run uh, I run the uh, rudder flashers uh, by um, by a silver horde off my downrigger balls. 
And guys are like, well, those are for saltwater fishing. I can tell you that when I was just running, you know, naked downrigger ball, uh, I could see the fish and, and okay, you're marking fish. I started running those rudder flashers, just creating more dis- disturbance, more flash, more more things for them to go, hey, what's that? And I can watch those fish come up from the bottom and kind of check out what's going on. Oh, man, I, I don't think you can have too much. It, it, once you get the kokanee down away from the motor and away from the shadow of the boat, mm-hmm. I think once they get at that depth, I don't think you can have enough flash yeah. to scare those fish off. Yeah, it kind of it draws them in. If you don't have a predation problem, you yeah. know, right? Uh, you're gonna you're gonna absolutely draw them in with more clutter, more flash. Looks like we got some phone calls waiting there. Probably talk to Cameron. What do you got, Steve? Yeah, let's go to uh, Jeff from Vancouver right here. Hey, Jeff, what's going on, man? Thanks for calling. Hey, you know I uh, was looking on the Lewis River Fishing Report about a week and a half ago, thinking about going kokanee fishing for the first time in quite a while. Okay. And I read that from multiple reports that people went up there to fish and found hundreds of kokanee dead on the surface. Yeah, you know, there's I've seen a couple things across social media on that. Uh, the, the few times um, I had gone up, I hadn't seen that. But, you know, those lakes had definitely take, taken a hit. You know, November we had the, you know, wettest year on record. And mm-hmm. those those slides and that water clarity issue, I mean, by now I would have already ran probably 50-plus kokanee trips uh, up at the lakes. And right. we've only ran maybe a, now, just recently, maybe a dozen. Merwin, a, Merwin was dirty for a while. Yeah, and it, right? it, it's still not even kind of to where it should have been. I mean, it's been cloudy oh. for five months. And one thing I will say is that the fish and we're catch the fish that we're catching, they're not as fat as they've been. So, you know, I mean, I I'm sure we can attribute uh, some of these you know potential die offs or maybe something's going on there with that lake because it's it's taken a hit. Yeah, it's definitely not the, the the normal thing. So it's going to be interesting to see. I know WDFW Region Five. I, I know they've received some calls on that, and they're kind of starting to ask for information from the anglers and stuff like that to check it out. Oh, interesting. All right, hope that answered the question. What else you got there, steve Scott from Ashland, Oregon has a question about plugs. Plugs. Hey, Scott, what's going on, man? Yes, yes sir. I uh, saw your show on the Columbia a couple of weeks ago. You guys were catching springers on plugs. My question's this. Uh, right out of the box, I buy maglips, um, but they all have BBs in them. They rattle. Are you yep. with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm listening. Do you do you leave the BBs in or do you take them out? Uh, for Maglips, I've left them in. I know there's some other brands of uh, plugs out there that have, have now gone to no rattle, so that could be an option there too. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Maglips, I, I, you know, I've heard of guys drilling out the uh, drilling out the BBs and then re-epoxying them and really? stuff like that. Yeah, and I never just, heard of that. I just, I, I think it's for 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 me, it's it's too much of a of a chance that i could be really ruining a good plug oh yeah given you know and they don't mean? give them away and, yeah and they won't well i mean that too and then you're gonna have a hard time uh getting consistency out of them after you sure. kind of manipulated them like that but i haven't especially with maglips i mean those those plugs work so i mean it's not a matter don't of don't want to ruin uh, them exactly yeah. i'm kind of yeah. I'm, I'm a little leery about that and i haven't I'm, just to be fair too i also haven't experimented with it much yep exactly hope that answered that for you hey uh any other any other question relative to kokanee we sure do bruce from olympia has a kokanee question hey bruce how you doing man oh not bad uh i'm picking up a boat on monday i was looking at uh, summit lake for kokanee never been there done that before give me a good start point on that if you could well, as far as where you're going to find kokanee, or what are you looking for? I need for, like, bait. Well, for bait, for me, uh, and this is just me, you know, I run a lot of the, the Potsky's corn, and I um, I basically soak that stuff in various different scents. Uh, one thing I will always use, and I, I kind of double up on my bait. I put uh, corn on the top hook, and I put one Berkeley 
Gulp Pink Maggot on the trailer hook. And I take that jar of Berkeley Gulp Maggots because they absorb uh, oils and scent really well. And I'll put in usually some of the Smelly Jelly Green uh, Tuna Garlic goes in goes on in that jar and just let them soak man if you keep this stuff in your refrigerator all summer long depending on how much you fish it's not going to go bad okay so get you some gulp maggots uh, use one of those on your trailer hook and it doesn't disrupt the action of the lure and then i like to use the potsky corn one or two of the corn kernels on the front hook and i mix and match i always know i run that tuna garlic maggot on the back hook that front one i'll i'll change it around some of the white natural corn i put in herring mike's herring oil some of the uh pink uh, potsky corn i may put in some uh some uh shrimp anise in combination um it's just a matter of personal preference squid scent works really well squid anise uh any and all those i have found work really well and don't be afraid to smear a little bit of scent on your dodger a lot of guys forget to utilize that backside of that dodger as a as a means of uh, broadcasting more scent. So get some smelly paste of some sort. Shrimp anise works well. Smear that on your dodger and uh, put out as much scent as you can, and those things will come calling. That answered for you? Will that work? Yeah, yeah. Like a blue fox and a number two, for instance? A blue fox and a number two. So uh, generally, have you... Have you fished kokanee before or ever? Do you have downriggers on this boat that you're picking up? No. Uh, I'm right at basic starting out. Okay. Uh, we did catch some decent kokanee yesterday, even flatlining. But we're talking, you know, you're using uh, small dodgers, four-aught dodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, and behind that, you want to put on, if you're not in a position to tie lures and stuff, go to max. You know, go to, if you're an Olympia uh, you know, uh, Sportco is a bit of a jaunt for you, but you can probably go into Cabela's or Sportsman somewhere down there. Mm-hmm. Find some of the Max lures that are pre-made for kokanee. Look for the kokanee lures. They're going to be little squids with spinners. Mm-hmm. Look for a uh, Yakima Bait Company. They also have little hoochie uh, skirted uh, lures with spinner blades on them. And follow directions. You want to be, you know, 8 to 10 inches behind your Dodger and troll it at 1 mile per hour. Cameron's got something for you. I was going to say, too, you know, and, and there's a lot of really good guides up in the areas, too, that will, you know, all, all the lakes kind of fish a little bit differently. But as right. far as getting some of the knacks, as far as, like, the troll speed, you know, using a Dodger-Hoochie combination and stuff like that, really rain same for all the lakes. Yeah. You know, you might fish a little different depth or a little different cove or a little different area as you go to. But, I mean, just the invaluable time that you're going to be able to mm-hmm. save by going one time with a guide up here and like there's lots of good guys on stevens and, and american and stuff like that too and just uh you know look one of them up and go one time and it'll save you a whole season of learning yeah wow. I mean, really absolutely will. i'm glad you threw that out there because i was talking thinking about talking to you sometime in the future about taking myself my son and my uh, two grandkids out now, i could do that down south if you wanted to hit merwin or yale and honestly you know when it comes to those two i would probably with for a guy like you i'd probably take you right to yale because those fish uh there's a lot of fish in that lake, and they seem to chew the paint off the side of the boat they want in so bad. So it's a pretty easy lake to learn. You know, Bruce, from Olympia, it's not too bad to drive straight down I-5, meet up with Cameron out of Woodland there, and uh, go up and take grandkids and fish Yale. Not to mention the money you spend for that day, you're going to learn so much. Then you can bring that, like Cameron says, apply that to uh, Summit Lake, and you're going to find much more success at a faster pace than trying to go at it on your own. Okie dokie. All right, appreciate, appreciate the call, Bruce. Have a great day. Anything else there, Steve-O? Yeah, we got one more call here right now. Uh, Mike from Wilsonville, Oregon. Fantastic. Hey, Mike, how you doing this morning? Thanks for following the show. Fine. Good morning. What's your what question? I wanted, what I wanted to ask about, I enjoyed the outdoor GPS show last night. Camera was on. Oh, good to know. 
and he began to intimate that he had something to say about Brad's plugs and Kokanee, even perhaps linked to Merwin. And I, he didn't get to finish it, and I wondered what he thought. Oh, so there's there's some guys, uh, myself included, um, that are will run the uh, the minis um, with you know two uh, trailer uh, of the drop shot size two hooks and run corn on that. And yeah, you know, like I said. The, the kokanee aren't feeding on anything. There's not a corn hatch going on in the lake. There's not a squid hatch. There's nothing <laughs> exactly. like that. So pretty much you have the, the dodger that's going to call them in, and then you have the lure, which is going to bring them in even closer. And then mm-hmm. I think what happens is those kokanee key in on either the Berkeley gold maggot mm-hmm. or the scented corn on the back of the hook. And so that 3.0 um, Brad's cut plug uh, is another final lure to like bring those kokanee in just a little closer to that corn, a little closer to that hook. And it's been working for a lot of guys. There's some guys that are now religiously using that. And I don't know if I can speak freely on this, but I know Brad's is coming out with something a little more kokanee oriented along those lines. Oh, interesting. They're, they're, they're kind of test, testing it out, something to check out later sure. on. But in the meantime, the 3.0s are working for a lot of guys up there. And like I said, it's just another lure. It's just another attractant. It's something that's making that lure move and spin. And, you know, kokanee are curious. They're going to come in and take yeah. a look. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that helped you out on that one there because uh, I know the guys are uh, running plugs and stuff over there at Chelan and doing really well, too. Yeah, and on the really big kokanee, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they're actually getting them to grab it. <laughs> yeah, I think you made a good point there. Kokanee are curious little creatures, man. You you watch the videos of guys using the, the, the wolf cameras, mm-hmm. and you watch them suckers, and I know you've played <laughs> around with it. But them doggone things will follow your presentation and uh, you know, for a long time until they finally either just decide, yeah, I'm going to eat this thing, or you know, they're just checking it out. So... Uh, we are kind of up against a break. Appreciate all the phone calls. That was a very active uh, segment there. Hopefully we answered a few questions. And, you know, we'll continue with Kokanee Nation throughout the season for another, gosh, I don't know, 14, 15 weeks every other week. Uh, Kokanee Nation brought to you by Max Lure and YBC. Uh, Bruce, make sure you check out a local retailer there and find some of the Max Lure gear that's available. Give Cameron a call. Book that trip with the grandkids. We're going to jump out for a break. During the break, Stephen, get ready. Okay, seventh caller, right? Seventh caller, you're going to be busy, Lucky number man. seven. Ah, lucky number seven. Seventh caller is going to get the second uh, YBC pack today. You're going to get those lures, get that uh, quick limit Dodger, a Yakima bait hat, and I threw in a jar of corn and some Potsky stickers for you. Kind of give you a little kokanee starter kit. All that uh, in one easy phone call. Caller seven is going to win the second YBC prize pack for the day. We're going to jump out for a break. When we get back, we get to get to the uh, the political side of things here, man. Uh, Heath Heikula, the Regional Fisheries Director for CCA, going to kind of delve into this whole convoluted mess that we know as Puget Sound Fisheries this year and see where we go with that. All that and more when we get back right here at Sports. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Radio 950 KJR. Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Welcome back, Northwest Wild Country Sports Radio 950 KJR and Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. Wayne England, Cameron Black in studio. Appreciate your insight on the old Kokanee Nation there, buddy. Good no stuff. problem. Yeah. Hopefully we're getting folks spooled up to 
Go out and chase kokanee and some of the other fisheries as of late based on situations that have evolved here in the greater Puget Sound region. Uh, interesting turn of events here this week. Obviously, we had the, the gillnet uh, fishery that took place up on the Skagit, the drift gillnetting uh, by the Suwamish tribe. Uh, a little bit of protest in regards to that. An organized rally uh, Thursday, which I attended, a couple hundred folks in attendance in news media, uh, promoted and, and put out there by CCA, and they did a fantastic job. Short notice, had great turnout. You know, it's tough to to organize and get folks to show up at 11.30 in the afternoon on a, on a Thursday. People got to work and, and whatnot, and, and, and we recognize that. Um, CCA recognized that, but uh, for those that made it out, fantastic. And for those who have been following the uh, the fallout from that and, and where that went and the story and all those things, you know, I uh, appreciate you keeping tabs on that. There's more information to come out of that, and I guess the big question as to what's happening now and where are we going with this whole thing. People want to know what they can do. So my next guest, uh, Heath Heikla, Regional Fisheries Director for CCA, uh, has his thumb on the pulse of a lot of this stuff and can probably answer a number of questions that we'll throw at him, Cameron, in this next segment here. So, hey, Heath, thanks for joining us this morning. I know you're extremely busy, and uh, pleasure to have you on the show, man. Hey, guys. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, Heath, as we were all uh, joined there at uh, in Lacey at the NOAA building, uh, there was a meeting going on inside, and uh, that was WDFW meeting with NOAA. And I was a little unclear if any of the uh, any tribal individuals were in on that meeting at all. But uh, what was the intent of that meeting going on? I believe, uh, hopefully, Director Unsworth was involved with that. And uh, did you get word of anything as far as positive movement forward that came out of that meeting? Well, uh, what we do know, uh, guys, is that uh, WDFW yesterday did submit uh, their fishery package um, to, to NOAA uh, for their uh, review and uh, hopefully their approval. Uh, so these meetings that were taking place were, you know, I believe, talking about the process moving forward for considering uh, the, the department's standalone fishery proposal. As you guys know, uh, the, the state tribes were unable to come to agreement on a joint proposal. Uh, Correct, that yep. is how uh, this has been done in the past. And uh, so the, the, there's a huge question mark about how NOAA is going to approve uh, two now standalone plans. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, when you hear discussions. And this one really kind of chaps me a bit, to be quite honest. Um I understand, and we kind of knew it was going down this road. I mean, it was it was very clear that the WDFW would have to submit for their own permitting, federal permitting process through NOAA. And, and knowing so, um, I believe, you know, and this is my opinion and, and the opinion of many others, I believe that the tribes came to the table uh, planning, full intention to go down this road, and they were set to go. In other words, they knew that the, the WDFW and Jim Unsworth were not going to accept any of those proposals they were putting on the table because they were just blatant disregard for uh, us to have opportunity. And, you know, truly at the core of it, Heath, and I do believe that uh, WDFW's intentions are to give recreational fishers the opportunity to have time on the water and enjoy our fisheries that we all help pay for. Um, and, and by them walking away, that kind of pulls us back and doesn't allow us to fish until we get the go-ahead. How is it that NOAA can look at the two separate entities of proposals and possibly, quite possibly, by the end of May, I'm hearing, uh, give the tribal um, the tribal fishers an opportunity to perform their seasons as they've presented, 
when we're talking strictly gillnet fisheries. And it may take who knows how long. Nobody has the answer. Who knows how long for hook and line with, with potential for release and albeit a small mortality. Um, how, how can it take so much longer to authorize a hook and line uh, recreational fishery versus a kill net uh, opportunity? Well, uh, you, you know, of course, there's. Uh, if you ask Noah that, you'd get a long uh, answer of all the reasons why. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's our fundamental message here, and it really is one of equity, uh, fairness. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone playing by the same rules and transparency. And like it or not, this process, North of Falcon, the season set, setting process has lacked all of those things in recent years. And uh, I, I actually think the tribes kind of thought that WDFW might agree uh, to uh, what they were uh, uh, proposing because they agreed every year in the past. Sure. Uh, the, you know, the approach, kind of the, the moniker has been a bad deal is better than no deal. No deal, yeah. Uh, but we, we got to the tipping point here where, uh, the, the, you know, the, the delta between uh, a bad deal and no fishing uh, because of the lower returns and because of increasing demands for shutting down entire marine areas, entire rivers, they just weren't that far apart anymore. So, uh, you, you know, I know we're going to talk about what people can do. I, I'll just say, you know, throw out the first thing. To your point, we need to make sure the department knows uh, that we appreciate that they they've really are standing for uh, the state's uh, anglers and uh, are trying to hit a reset button on yeah. the whole process. I think you can do that in two ways. One, go out and buy your fishing license. Uh, many people don't realize the department is uh, predominantly funded by recreational license revenue. So that's really important we, we do that. Uh, there's going to be places to go out fishing this year. You know that. And then the other thing you can do is drop a quick email. Uh, to Director Unsworth and mm-hmm. thank him uh, for for trying to improve uh, you know this process and make it more equitable. You can email him at director at dfw.law.gov. Yeah, I think uh, it goes without saying for those who haven't taken the time to truly express their gratitude to Director Unsworth and staff uh, for them making a stance for all the reasons forementioned. I mean. To, uh, to accept what was on the table this year by the co-managers. Uh, for those that still think, Heath, and we've been trying to educate the masses, um, for those that think we would have been fishing, you're mistaken, because to accept a proposal that was, that was blatant disregard for a recreational opportunity, uh, we would not have been fishing, uh, even though we would have said yes to fishing. So it's kind of a play on words, but the fact is Unsworth and staff did the appropriate thing. We, it, this was going to come to a head at some point, don't you think? With your involvement with CCA, as long as you've been in, in the ongoings that you are privy to, don't you think at some point this was going to come to a head and we would have to make a stand somewhere along the line? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we've got to remember that you know, we're, we're in it for the long term with the tribes as co managers. Yeah. And uh, I, I look at it, you've lost some real, you know, uh, seminal tribal leadership, Billy Frank, et cetera, that used to really pull the, these dozen tribes together. And uh, we, we've lost that in recent years. And you now have a situation where, you know, individual tribes are, uh, there's just less of that collective mm-hmm. voice, less of a, an interest in coming to, you know, co- cooperative management. So uh, we, we've got to figure out how to to reach out and, and figure out are there areas we can work with 
the tribes uh, so we can get a better understanding of their views and, and our views and needs, quite frankly. So there are areas out there like hatcheries. Uh, certainly, we all need to be concerned about the health of Puget Sound. I mean, these are all things we've been working on. Uh, we, we just, uh, if you want to have a good working relationship, there's got to be, uh, you know, trust and, and, quite frankly, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, care going on in both directions. Well, I think you, you, you brought out a valid point there, Heath. Um, one thing folks need to understand is that this co-management relationship will still continue. The fact that they're both seeking uh, federal permitting on their own accord this season doesn't mean that relationships are severed forever. This is a, uh, this is a process that will need to continue. And if our fisheries are going to survive, the two uh, separate governments need to learn to work together. And the other valid point that I picked up on that folks need to hopefully uh, understand and realize is that it's not all the tribes that are creating this headache. We have a few tribes in the Puget Sound region that have brought it to this stopping point. you got to also look at some of the other stuff. Cameron, you're privy to uh, you know um, the luxury of some of the uh, uh, extra fish that have been put into the Columbia River system based on the works of some of the tribes upriver. You can't disregard those programs that are really doing well for our fisheries overall. Um, that's not to say I'm, you know, jumping on the bandwagon to, to hug every tribe here. We have some that are doing some really good things, really good biology, really good fish management practices, working well with ODF&W and WDFW. And then, Heath, we have these other points of uh, contention that are basically to the point where we can't say yes anymore. We need to find a better way. Do you think that there's going to be a change in the NOF process? Is there a different means or a way that this can be approached when it comes to coming to agreement on managing some of these fisheries? Well, I, I sure hope so for all of our sakes. I mean, I guess we've got a two-step issue here moving forward. One is the short term, and you kind of referenced that earlier. And I think we're going to get a glimpse of what that looks like because we've got essentially two permits that have been delivered to NOAA. They don't add up to one, and that's the biggest problem. Right. So we have, uh, you know, a tribal proposal uh, that is uh, going to go well into the state's share, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a number of river systems. And uh, the, when you add in the state proposal, there are going to be systems where you are over one. And so how is NOAA going to handle that? And I think that's a huge question mark. Sure. But to your, your point, we have got to fix the North of Falcon process to get dispute resolution back into the uh, process. Used to be there after the Bolt decision uh, through the USB Washington process. So, and then we've got to have better timelines on this. The game that's been played on North of Falcon, as you guys are aware, is wait until the 11th and a half hour, yeah. uh, throw, throw down a demand, and then you know we are forced into an agreement. That's no way to run a railroad. Uh, so we've got to we've got to get that one fixed. Uh, so those those two issues are just absolutely huge. And then I just say transparency. I mean, yeah, uh, I've heard, I've heard some of the you know tribal responses to the rally about coming to the table and working together. We would absolutely love to do that. I'll just point out is that in the North of Falcon process, we are barred from the room right. of even being in there to see the discussion. So it's a little bit, uh, you, you know, um, a little bit hypocritical to invite us to a table to talk about things that need to be talked about, habitat, et cetera, while barring us from, from a room uh, where these important issues are discussed. The uh, all very, very good points and, 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 you know, quite frankly, the, the God honest truth, um, you know, and one, one additional final thought here as we're winding down. Um, the bottom line here is, you know, methods of harvest. And 
it just uh, it just blows me away. You know, uh, hats off to CCA and all the work your uh, organization has done in regards to Columbia River. Cameron and I were talking uh, off off air here some of the some of the things that are enacted and coming down the pipe here uh, relative to Columbia River gillnet commercial fisheries, uh, where they are and are not going to be allowed to perform those particular uh, commercial fisheries, and and all the changes coming. Uh, you know, secondary to CCA's efforts, of course. Um, what is it ever going to take uh, in in today's modern uh, society where we're f- we're raising fish and hatcheries differently? Technology, biology, what we know and understand about fish, life cycles, the ability to put fish in rivers and support fisheries, the ability to recognize based on biological studies um, what rivers can sustain wild fish. Uh, in abundance and not need hatchery support. We got all this going on, and, and habitat restoration. The the tribes keep uh, screaming about, and the states spending millions upon millions of dollars on habitat restoration. That's been going on. It's all for naught if at the terminal end of it, at the terminal areas, we're dropping these gill nets in the river. When is it? When is it ever going to get to the point where the tribes will agree to alternative means and methods of harvest? In other words, you know, getting the gill nets out of the water and actually having to work a little harder to obtain your catch are we ever going to be able to cross that road with the tribes do you ever see that as a possibility of discussions coming up well you know i'm an i'm an uh, i'm an optimist me too i with three young three young daughters uh, so i have no no choice but to be optimistic about the future uh you know who who knows uh and you know hope, hope certainly uh, is out there for it i guess what i would say is what we can do is lead on our own uh, and, and do what's in our own control. And I think some of the things you referenced were doing that. The yeah. other thing, I find that recreational anglers just get so frustrated, uh, just throw, you know, go, go, I'm washing my hands of this and walking away. And that is the absolute wrong thing to do. What right. we have got to do uh, with 800,000 anglers across the state, 200,000 anglers that fish the Columbia, uh, the same amount uh, in Puget Sound, Guys, we got to get better organized mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, and that I mean that is ultimately what is going to bring change. Uh, so you know, join CCA, get take the actions, respond to the action alerts, things like that. Because uh, if we can leverage the full uh, force of the angling public, it is a powerful political constituency, and ultimately, that's what you know. Quite frankly, votes. Uh, quite frankly, people who are willing to show up at meetings, that's what politicians, that's what agency officials respond to. Absolutely. So real quick, Heath, we've got to get out of here uh, late on a break, but uh, folks can go to CCA, uh, is it dot .org? Um, we go, go, do, do, go to CCAWashington.org, okay. yep. click on Action Center, and there is the action alert we have up on the, the Puget Sound fishery issue. People can literally, in about three clicks, email their federal representatives, Governor Inslee, uh, and NOAA. And by doing that as well, then we can follow up with you if we need to make a follow-up phone call to you know NOAA here in the region to say process the permit, whatever the issue is that comes. But that would be the next uh, step, ccawashington.org. Click on Action Center. Perfect. Appreciate the time this morning, Heath. Tons of information, and we'll continue to follow this and stay in touch with you, my friend. Uh, doing great things, and we'll continue to follow it. Heath Heikla, Regional Fisheries Director for CCA. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. All right, jumping out for a break. We come back, going to close out the show. A couple text messages. Hopefully, we gave that price pack away. And uh, we'll close her out when we come back right here at Sports Radio 950 KJR. 
Northwest Wild Country on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. This will do it, man. Wrapping up the show, running out of time. Northwest Wild Country Sports Radio 950 KJR. We got time for one final text message from the day there, Steve-O. Yep, it says, hello, Dwayne. What size downrigger ball do you use on Summit? Also, do you use steel or braided cable on your downrigger? Thanks from Jerry Smith. Oh, hey, Jerry Smith. Uh, yeah, been uh, corresponding a lot lately and following all the ongoings uh, throughout Puget Sound and whatnot. Uh, I can tell you specific to the Wild Country boat and the 2106B high-speed Scotty downriggers we have on that boat, I have to run generally a 15-pound ball, nothing less than a 12. That's specific to the downrigger. Um, Cameron, I know when I was fishing my drift boat using clamp-on downriggers manuals, I would use a 4-pound ball. When I'd go over there and fish Brewster, I'd go with a 6-pound ball. I would say if you're not limited or told exactly don't go lighter than this ball based on the manufacturer on your on your downrigger i think a six pound ball for kokanee fishing is a good all-around size and that's exactly what i use and i have the uh, scotty 11 16s and so we there don't ever go. fish deeper than 60 feet yep we're good okay yeah six pound ball jerry's going to get it done for you especially out there at summit want to thank all our guests Cameron black in studio thanks for making the drive up from woodland washington this morning <laughs> two o'clock wake up call to get your carcass up here and join me in studio shane magnuson uh upper columbia river guide service of course, uh, we finished out there with Heath Heichel of CCA. And uh, who else did I have on this morning? Lost my uh... Keith Jensen. Oh, yes. That's who we started with. Keith Jensen, uh, Big Wally's Guide Service. That's going to do it for us. Tune in next week. We will definitely have another show packed full of information and follow all the ongoings throughout the Puget Sound. And then looking forward to that Kokanee Derby on, the, uh, on Lake Stevens, Saturday, May 21st, 7th Annual Kokanee Derby. Go to our Facebook page, like it, and sign up. Try to uh, win the prize of joining me at the Derby on the 21st. Signing off here at Northwest Wild Country Sports Radio, 950 KJR. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.